Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, sports fans. Coach Nick here. And before we bring on Ian Begley, I thought I'd just jump on here and offer some thoughts about the NBA just to give you some ideas of what's going on because I'm over here in Atlanta right now and I spent a lot of time yesterday uh, with the Hawks talking with them. I have a great interview with Tim Hardaway Jr. on a lot of fundamental stuff and shooting that you're going to really enjoy. And I got on the court with uh, Hawks rookie DeAndre Bembry and we did a really cool little breakdown of attacking on the catch. So you're definitely going to want to keep your eye out on the YouTube channel for those videos. Plus, I'm going to do a really cool thing with the, uh, the Hawks footage I have, uh, interspersing footage with the interviews, and it'll be a nice, cool little mini documentary. So definitely stay tuned. That should be out you know, at some point next week when I get back. And I'll also be stopping by Minneapolis to check in on the uh, Timberwolves and get some interviews there. So um, I did want to talk a little bit about the Knicks because I know this is going to be about them when we talk with Ian. And um, I just thought I'd lay out some of my ideas because the triangle offense is obviously near and dear to my heart. And I coached at the high school level. And Tex Winter, who invented the offense, was a mentor of mine. And we spent a lot of time talking about it and how to teach it. And um, it's just been a really frustrating experience going through Nick's footage when I stop in every, you know, so often to look at what's going on with them. And there's this new sort of notion in the press where they're saying that they're trying to run the offense more. Um, And it's strange because you're kind of setting it up to fail if you don't run the offense all the time. And what you'll see in the Ian Begley interview is that we talk about how often they do it. You know, it's like five times out of 50 possessions in the first half against the Magic. And uh, it doesn't seem like that is a great way to teach the players how to do this. And then, you know, we've also said this ad nauseum that, you know, Derrick Rose, they ran the the triangle in Chicago a lot, 20% of the time almost with with Thibodeau. And yet he still seems completely mystified by where to go. And that's true. When I see it, um, I'm going to do a breakdown on this. I want to take some of the footage because... Even despite the fact that they only run it that not that often, they get good shots out of it. But there's so many missed, you know, details that they're not doing, and um, it's frustrating. And I think part of it roots in the fact that maybe Hornacek has never taught the triangle before, so doesn't really know all of the ins and outs and the details. Perhaps they're not demanding the details out of the players, which is what you know Tex Winter would do so well. And um, it's a really frustrating experience watching that because there is a lot of ability out there that they could, they're, they're leaving a lot on the table. And they have these young guys, or, you know, Kuzminskis is not that young, but I really like what I see whenever I turn on this, the TV and watch him play. And I think that with Porzingis there, uh, you have a real, uh, you know, solid base, especially with Hernan Gomez, who can be that Marcus All, you know, style of player. They, they have some ability there. And I even like Baker, you know, he, what he did against the Magic. I know it's the Magic, but, uh, you know, he looked good in that first half. So uh, they have some pieces. Uh, Mello, by the way, is also a really frustrating player for me to watch, and it's a dinosaur. We are now seeing the, the style of play that he plays going extinct, and we're not going to see many players moving up doing that, which is the hold the ball, jab, step, jab, step, iso, hold it. You know, He's still good at it, and he can still make shots, but, man, are they tough. And as we progress into this modern era of three-point shooting and pace and space, you know, the, the mantra is attack on the catch. 
and that's what we spend a lot of time with, and we have a lot of stuff with you know DeAndre Bembry's encore demo is going to talk about that, where when you're never more open than when you catch the ball, otherwise they wouldn't throw it to you. So why catch it and do a triple threat and jab seven, wait for the defense to catch up, and that's what Melo likes to do. Um, but when you watch the Warriors play and, and then the Spurs, uh, a lot of the time they attack on the catch and the Hawks as well. Uh, it's a real focus for them on their offense, and the ball moves just like it did in seven seconds or less with Phoenix and Steve Nash. And so that's where we're moving towards because obviously the three-point shot is too much of a weapon, and the players are too skilled now. And it's another interesting idea that I was thinking about yesterday about defense, which is you know since teams have gotten so good and players have gotten so good with skill, it's much more harder to stop them now across the board. Even at the high school level, you're getting three, four, maybe five guys who can all attack you off the dribble, and a lot of them can shoot. And suddenly the defensive principles you might have had from a long time ago aren't nearly as effective. And so what you kind of need to do then is focus a little bit on the offense as well because you're going to have to be able to score to win now, and that's what we're moving towards. And, you know, the other thing with, which is interesting about this is that we're going to have a lot less um, sort of blowouts to sustain. You might have a 20-point lead in the second quarter and lose that game. And we're going to see, I think, a lot more of this variability as we move along because the three-point shot is so effective if you get hot and the other team gets cold or they're up by a lot and they're trying to run the clock out. You see it in football even more. I think we're going to see it. We see it in basketball now. We have these crazy runs back and forth. Certainly that's exciting. And if that's the, the reality of the situation, then you're going to have to be able to play that way and, and offer up something on the offensive end and not just expect to be able to, you know, hunker down on defense, slow a game down because it doesn't really work. It's not going to work as we, you know, transition to this modern era. And remember, every year that goes by and the more information that we have about skills and how to train both uh, individual skills basketball-wise and then, the, you know, uh, functional movement and um, strength training – you know, you're going to see more and more really amazing skills from younger and younger players. And that's going to be really hard on the defensive end, even with this new sort of, you know, uh, the defense these days in the NBA is much more sophisticated than it ever used to be. Well, you know, you're now going to have more, all more, more now more than ever, you're going to have to really be able to focus on the fundamentals of defense, not helping one pass away, no middle, because no matter what happens, the way I see this progressing, it's those tenets of the defense that need to exist. Uh, and you're going to have to just hold it together. And you might get scored on. And the other team, you know, that damn offense scores sometimes. But without those principles, you're going to have a completely haphazard defense. It's going to be confusing to everybody because the offense is so good and there's so much movement that you simply need to be able to keep it simple and focused. And in the long run, if you execute it, you will be successful on the defensive end. Enough. Um, but that's what we're moving towards. And so... You know, the Warriors are running the triangle offense. You know, they really are. They're doing a lot of the triangle actions. Um, they're just doing it attacking on the catch, and they're spreading it out, and they got rid of a few different cuts that uh, I'm going to do a video series on um, this summer that you'll be able to, you know, uh, buy as a uh, series on how to install it on your team. And so we've seen it. You know, the Warriors are giving us the blueprint of how you can run a lot of the triangle action much quicker and much with much more space and pace uh, and be obviously – as effective as you can be. 
Of course, I wouldn't worry too much about the Warriors right now with uh, when they lost that game to the Bulls. You know, whenever you lose a starter and you lose a starter, you know, as good as Kevin Durant, you're, you're going to be off. There's going to be several games where they have to just get used to, okay, who's going to be the man? How are we going to run this? What works? What doesn't? So I wouldn't be too concerned yet, but certainly uh, if Durant doesn't get back and can't get in the swing uh, before the playoffs, then they're going to be vulnerable to, you know, teams like Houston. So um, without question, uh, it'll be an interesting thing to see how they deal with, and they don't want to rush him back. Uh, we saw, you know, Steph Curry last year up and down and sort of, you know, the knee problem, and that's the same issue that Durant's going to have. Luckily, it's only a bruise for him, but uh, we shall see how that's going to play out. But um, I did want to just sort of offer up some of more of these, these uh, um, thoughts about how the triangle is, works and w whether or not it still is out there, and it is, and a lot of teams are running stuff. The other thing about the Knicks I don't, I don't want to forget is that what they're running on offense for the triangle is, is basically like only pinch post. And, you know, there's four basic options. You can throw the ball to the low post. You can throw the ball to the top for a pinch post. You can throw the ball to the forward uh, flashing across, or you can go to the corner for a really good pick and roll action. And they just don't seem to have any of those other options. And, you know, if, if the Knicks players are going to complain about the other team knows exactly where they're going to go, well, of course they do because they're only running pinch post. And, um, and even out of all those actions, there's so much more you can do. There's a lot of dribble handoff to initiate, to disguise the pinch post action. You know, you can run a screen off of the pinch post and then hit him. And that's what we see the Warriors doing. And uh, it doesn't necessarily mean you need to have great shooters and great players like Curry and Clay and those guys. Um, you know, these are pros. They can cut. They can move if you show them and work on it. But that, you know, requires probably more time than they're willing to, d to devote toward them right now. And so it's really kind of a frustrating experience overall to watch. Um, and then that said, are they even incentivized to win many more of these games? Uh, you know, in the cold, harsh reality of the NBA where you want to get a high draft pick and a really good draft this year. And don't forget, I've done uh, a couple right now uh, of breakdowns. I did Lonzo Ball and I did Markel Fultz. And we're going to do at least one more, uh, I think, on Josh Jackson. And it sounds like people are digging him so much that I'll do – I'll do more. I mean, they're, they're easy and they're fun to do. So uh, I'll spot, try and spotlight some more of the top players in the draft because it is so deep. And I know that a lot of guys who follow the NBA probably, you know, if you're out there, you might be too busy to follow college. So it would be a great chance to sort of catch up and see what's up with these guys, especially a guy like Fultz who's not going to play in the tournament because his team isn't, doesn't, isn't good enough. So um, I'll get through some more of that stuff too and show you what's going on because it's very impressive. Uh, what some of these guards can do as freshmen coming into college and how polished they look. It's, uh, it, that's, that's what I'm talking about as far as, you know, how we're going to get younger and younger players with more and more skill and more and more polish. And, um, you know, the defense is going to be that much more difficult to play out of that. And uh, so we're going to see how that's going to evolve. And I would imagine that, you know, I don't know if we can have much more evolution of defense because we've already sort of seen a big, you know, with Thibodeau and, you know, the way they play and the way they load up on the strong side. Um, now in the, res uh, the reaction to that has been, okay, we need to now swing it more and get more action to make the defense move. Um, you know, but then again, I still firmly believe in a lot of those root fundamentals of the defensive end, which are, you know, don't help one pass away, no middle, moving in the direction of the ball. And I feel like those are always going to be tenants that will work um, as long as you execute them. And that's always been the key. So um, thanks for, you know, indulging me for a little bit of a chat with the one-on-one uh, -on -one here. And without further ado, let's move on to the interview I got with ESPN's Ian Begley on the Knicks.
Hey, sports fans, Coach Nick here, and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown Podcast. I am pleased to bring on ESPN's Ian Begley this morning to talk Knicks. So, Ian, um, how's it going this morning? Not too bad. A little busy over here, but uh, we're doing okay. How about you? Oh, not too bad. I'm over in Atlanta covering the Hawks before I head over to Minneapolis for the Timberwolves. So, uh, yeah, it's been pretty crazy, but... um, I, I want to talk to you about what's happening with what Derrick Rose is saying about the Knicks and the and the uh, the triangle offense. So break it down for us. Give us the quick uh, you know overview of what he's been saying recently. Pretty much all year he's talked about how tough it's been to get comfortable in this offense and how difficult it is to learn. And you know that's been a common refrain from guys who have been here the last three years, especially guys who have left the team. You know they've talked about how how much time it takes to really get in rhythm with this offense. And, you know, Derek is no different in that respect. You know, he's talked about how he's used to just running pick and roll a lot, and he hasn't run as much pick and roll in New York. And he's talked about how difficult it is to kind of just be in the corner and and not have any plays run for you. He's, He's labeled the offense as recently as, Last week is, is just random basketball. So he's, he's having some difficulties getting used to it. But I should note that he's played pretty well the last couple of nights, uh, whether it's in that triangle set or in the other early offense set that Jeff Wanasek likes to run. Um, but I think it's just indicative of a player who's so used to, to running a bunch of pick and roll, being in a system that does not run pick and roll as frequently as other NBA offenses. Well, do you hear this? This is me. That's me hitting my head against the table. Because, I like it. Yeah. Well, I, you might have seen the video I did about how uh, Thibodeau in Chicago ran the triangle about 20% of the time when Derrick Rose was there. I and did see that. I don't understand why. I mean, you know, someone needs to ask him, like, don't you remember that you did this in, in Chicago or don't you realize it's the same thing? It's really strange. Maybe Thibodeau, that was his secret, was that he ran it and didn't tell anybody it was a triangle. <laughs> and, like, they didn't know because and, – and that was sort of a secret. I did that video and I feel like a lot of people responded saying, oh, well, I never realized that. And, um, and meanwhile, you know, I, I went through that Magic game. In the first half, out of the you know about fifty half court possessions, they ran the triangle like five times. So right. I don't understand. Like, there people are with a straight face, and the Knicks organization are saying that they're trying to run it more. That's what Jeff Hornacek has said uh, since the All Star break. You know, he said we are running it a bit more. We're emphasizing it a bit more. And you know, I think that they did. I I didn't go back and watch each game, but I do know that they did. Um, those first couple of games after the all-star break, they were running it more. Maybe I, I saw, I saw what you saw that they didn't run it as much early on in that Orlando game. So I don't know if they're vacillating back and forth between emphasizing it more and then pulling back. Um, but I know the emphasis after the break, especially those two practices before they started to play games was uh, a significant emphasis on the triangle. So, I guess they're still trying to mix it up, but it's just it's strange to me that they would make that statement publicly, but then not not as you mentioned, not run it as as frequently as they're talking about doing it when they speak to the media. 
Right. And what the weird thing about it is that, you know, they actually get good shots out of this. I'm going to do a breakdown. You finally inspired me. This is going to be it. I'm going to do a breakdown. I meant to do this a lot earlier where I'm going to show you their triangle offense. You know, if, they, if they're only running it five, ten times a game, I could cover three games in one breakdown. And I'll show you that most of those shots are good. But I don't understand why, you know, if you're going to run it that infrequently, it, it's kind of set up to fail in a weird way. What, doesn't, that, doesn't that make sense? You know, it's interesting. Uh and I think a lot of this has to do with the conversation around the team more so than what happens on the court. But just as far as the amount that they run it and the amount that it's talked about, uh, it seems to be a little bit out of proportion. But I, I will say this, a lot of guys, guys who are on the team now, guys who have been on this team over the course of the last couple of seasons, have talked about not being in love with this offense. And publicly or privately have talked about how they worry about opponents knowing where they're going to be on the floor and how it's kind of easily predictable uh, from the opponent's perspective. So, uh, I and again, and I'm not here to question the merits of the offense. I'm just telling you what players have said about it. Sure. And then you look at the results, and the results haven't been good, and I wouldn't necessarily peg that on what kind of offense they're running. I think that a lot of that has to do with the personnel and their ability to get stops on the other end. But it just seems to me that, to a certain degree, they're not playing towards the strengths of their personnel when you're putting Derrick Rose, a guy who is one of the best penetrators in the NBA, in this in this offense. I'm curious to see what you think about that. Well, you know, the offense has a lot of... Well, first of all, the, the issue, the rule used to be, like, at, at the high school level when I would run it, it would be the three-second rule, which is you have to do something with the ball within three seconds, either drive, pass, or, or shoot. And I know with the Bulls, when they ran it, it was like two seconds or something a lot less than that, and the ball would have to move. That rule doesn't seem to apply with the Knicks, and it's so slow that I understand why anybody would look at it and be like, oh, this is not a modern offense, they shouldn't be running it. So I, I almost feel like it's a, the way they're teaching it issue, uh, lack of detail. And, you know, Tex Winter, who invented the offense, was always the one through line through the success of the triangle offense across different teams. I know you're going to say, oh, they had Kobe in one, they had you know Michael in the other. But in reality, I think it was Tex. And I think Tex never had a worry of standing up to stars and telling them, hey, your footwork is terrible, or B, you're, uh, you're not setting that screen really well. Uh, that said, as far as Rose goes, there is so much opportunity out of this offense to get uh, a, a screen for him off the ball and then a handoff for him you know, turning the corner and right into the lane. Um, and then also there are plenty of opportunities for it pick and roll. And so, you know, I guess I'll have to, I'll have to do a video and I'll, I'll show it because it's like it's, it is weird that it's so rudimentary. They only run basically pinch post when there's a, there's a myriad of other options you can run. So um, I don't know. I think I, I almost I want to say it's like I know Phil is there, but he must have pressure. Does, does Phil have any pressure to like not get down on the practice court and help teach the triangle? I mean, he can do whatever he wants, right? He's the team president. No one's going to tell him not to do something. I think he has gotten involved uh, to a to a small degree in teaching some of these younger guys. And he is – you see him sometimes. We don't see a lot of practice. We see the tail end of practice. And every once in a while, you'll see him either on the court or off to the side talking to a player. Um, he spent a lot of time talking to Courtney Lee earlier in the season after a practice about the triangle. So – you know, he does get involved to a certain degree. Uh, that I, and the one thing here is that makes it interesting. You know, 
obviously he's had so much success with this offense and you know he he's he wants the Knicks to run it Jeff Hornacek has coached previously obviously in his previous stops you know every offense uses some semblance of the triangle but I don't think Jeff has run it to the degree that obviously Phil's Bulls teams and Phil's Lakers teams have so you know you talk about them maybe not coaching it right I just wonder maybe if if Jeff is having a tough time getting this stuff across because he hasn't coached it and run it to the extent that it was run in Chicago and LA under Phil yeah, I mean, I think that that definitely looks to be a lot of it. And then also, yeah, when you're only running it, you know, less than 10% of the time, then there is no rhythm, there is no flow. Like, it's, it, it, I, won't, I don't think that anyone can figure it out. But again, I have to stress, like, the shots they're getting when they run it are, are good. They're probably better, you know, overall than the ones they don't, they get from the other way. And if you want to get that same feeling you do when you score off a nice triangle action, then our friend over at Blue Apron can help. Blue Apron delivers fresh, high-quality, and great-tasting ingredients to your door with easy-to-follow instructions. In no time, the delicious smell of home-cooked food will waft through your kitchen, attracting people like defenders around a Steph Curry ball screen. You can customize the food to your taste and delivery schedule. It's less than 10 bucks per person, and you'll get way more credit than you deserve for being a top chef. I can't tell you the kind of thanks I got from my wife when she sat down to eat salmon piccata with orzo and broccoli, but I will say that I cannot wait to make my next Blue Apron meal. So head over to blueapron.com slash coachnick and you'll get your first three meals completely free. That's blueapron.com slash coachnick and trust me, it'll be like LeBron James coming back from a 3-1 hole in the finals. When you do see that 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 Derrick Rose drive off of a high pick and roll and he gets to the basket and he scores, like, hey, that looks great too. And then you know there could be a better balance. Um, so I, I want to stress that because I do like when I see you know Rose doing that. Um, you know, I would be remiss if I didn't ask really quickly about you know Charles Oakley and what's happening there. And I, I guess my one question is maybe never was clear to me was you know what did he really heckle Dolan and is that what got them to want to eject him? Well, what the Knicks have said is that he was disrespectful to security, disparaging, used disparaging remarks or said disparaging remarks to security and used colorful language to security. They don't say that he ever uh, said anything directly to Dolan until security approached Oakley. So, you know, they're, they're saying he was he was loud and boisterous. He denies that. So it's kind of a he said, he said. And really, I think. The only way to put this story to bed is for Charles to, if he would, if he chooses, show up at the Garden, uh, be introduced in front of the fans, and soak up the applause, soak up the adulation from the fans, and and put that. Well, Charles is ready to do that. I talked to him last night, and he said nothing's changed at this point. He hasn't heard from the Knicks. He hasn't really been in touch with the NBA. And it's pretty much status quo. He said he's more concerned about the legal proceedings because he's facing three charges of assault than he is about returning to the garden. Aha. Uh-huh. So um, now, is he still banned from the garden? He's not. The ban has been lifted. He's been invited back. He said that he's not ready to accept that invitation. He's looking for Jim Dolan, I think, to apologize for suggesting that he has a drinking problem. I think that's another hurdle here um, that needs to be crossed before we get Charles back in in Madison Square Garden and before this issue can be resolved. Okay. Well, okay. That's uh, interesting information and certainly a very strange twist to an already strange season. 
Um, <laughs> let, let me ask you this. How serious uh, were the Knicks in trade talks with Permelo before the deadline? You know, I think that what they did was they kind of wanted to gauge the market. And there were talks in early February with the Clippers, cursory talks with the Celtics, cursory talks with the Cavaliers. And I think it was most serious with the Clippers because I was told that the Clippers pretty much up until close until the trade deadline were still trying to find a third team to get a draft pick to send to the Knicks or to take on Jamal Crawford's contract to make a deal happen. I think, you know, Boston was also active closer to the deadline trying to make something work obviously nothing worked out um and Carmelo's still here so but the idea that you know these teams were still talking close to the deadline is indicative to me of a situation that again is not resolved and I think we'll, we'll hear more trade talk when it comes to Carmelo after the season I think I expect in the offseason the Knicks to continue to talk to teams I know that you know, some people in the Clippers organization do think that they'll be able to land Carmelo in a trade this summer when it's easier to move your family to uproot everything from New York and move everyone out to Los Angeles. I think they feel pretty confident that they'll have a good shot at doing that this summer, depending on how things shake out, of course, over the next six weeks and then into the playoffs. Oh, it, now that's interesting because, you know, the, with the Clippers situation, uh, you know, they might not have the same team they have now anyway. Uh, and then throwing Melo into that situation would be really fascinating. So, I, I mean, my take on that was always sort of like the inflammatory statements that Phil had made was sort of in an effort to loosen up the no trade clause that Melo had. Is that is that me just sort of thinking out loud that's, you know, crazy? Or is that there's just a merit to that? No, I think you have a good read on it. I mean, I think everyone kind of interprets that the same way. You know, we haven't heard from Phil Jackson on it. He, I think if... The best thing for him to do, if, if there was a misinterpretation, would be to come out and say publicly, hey, you know, this is not what I meant. He tweeted that his tweet was misunderstood, but he didn't really expand on that. Mm-hmm. If it was indeed misunderstood, then, hey, clarify, let us know what you meant, because what's left hanging out there is the perception that he's just trying to move Carmelo one step closer to waiving that no trade clause, and that's pretty much how Carmelo took it. So. You know, that relationship between Carmelo and Phil is not a healthy one. And it leaves you to wonder just how this thing will play out over the summer. It seems like what's going to be one of these guys, whether it's Phil or Carmelo, mm-hmm. one of these guys is going to have to go. I don't know how, how much longer they can they can coexist here. So it's just a storyline to watch as we uh, as we go by here, as we get into the regular offseason, excuse me, for this Nick team. Well, something else that has got to go are the razors I've been using my whole life now that I've used Harry's razors instead. I had never thought much about shaving before, but once I opened up this cool package with a bunch of razors and shaving gel, I was hooked. They even include directions for how to properly shave, and their lightweight handle made it really easy to glide the blade over my skin for a very smooth shave. It's opened a whole new world for me, and their blades are literally half the price of what you'd buy in the store, and they get delivered to your door. So don't get left behind like an ISO-heavy, post-up-dominated offense. Visit harrys.com slash coachnick right now, and they'll send you their most popular trial set for free. That's right, for no cost, you'll get a razor handle of your choice, a five-blade cartridge, and shaving gel. There's just a small shipping fee. So visit harrys.com slash coachnick, and next thing you know, your face will be as smooth as a James Harden step-back jumper.
Well, you know, the one thing is interesting about that statement is that to me it felt like Phil's days are numbered. Uh, but but when I start seeing them trying to run a triangle more, like that was weird to me. That was a, some sort of interesting signal that maybe he he is going to be in, in that position a little bit longer than I thought. Yeah, it certainly seems that way. I mean, I think that if he gets the opportunity to rebuild this roster the way that he'd like to um, this summer, I, I think that I would expect him to not to want to go anywhere. And I don't think he'd want to go anywhere in the first place because. That Laker job is not open anymore, mm-hmm. and he has you know, the opportunity to make a good amount of money here in his final two years in New York. So I would assume that he'd, he'd want to stay put, and if anything were to change, it would be on owner James Dolan's end where he would say, okay, this is not working anymore. We have to pull the plugs. I don't think Phil would want to go anywhere, and I would assume that if he does get to do another rebuild here and, and get to do it, um, you know, from from the top down, building around Chris Stapp's Porzingis, you know, I think he'd be enthused about staying here. Sure. And now remind us really quickly what the uh, their draft pick status is. They have their first-round pick in the 2017, right? Yes, they have their first-round pick every year going forward. Phil has been pretty adamant in not wanting to deal that first-rounder in any trade talks over the last couple of years, including this past trade deadline. So they do have every first-round pick going forward, and I would expect them to go after one of these guards in the draft in June, assuming they get one of these top 10 picks, they'll be able to do so. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how they finish out the rest of the season, not only from the perspective of them making a playoff push, but from the perspective of where they will end up in the lottery. Right, uh, and you think they're really going to make a, a, an earnest playoff push, or they're going to shut Melo down and just try, you know, try and improve their chances? Everything we see right now is is them wanting to make that push. They have a lot of prideful veterans in that mm-hmm. locker room, and Jeff Hornacek wants to win games. So really, it's it's management's decision as to whether they want to continue that push. And we haven't seen any indication as of right now that they want to pull the plug on it. I think they are. They're gung-ho and trying to win games and trying to inch towards that eighth spot. Now, they're, they're four games out. It seems pretty insurmountable at this point, but they have some winnable games coming up. So let's see what happens over the next week to 10 days, and let's see where they are. Maybe at some point they pull the plug, but they're not there yet. For sure. Well, I hate to pull the plug on you now, Ian, but I know you're busy to have to get back to the Knicks and covering what's going on there. So uh, thanks for coming on the show. Awesome stuff, and we'll have to have you back on again soon. Hey, Nick, thanks for having me, man. Always good to be with you. For sure. And don't forget, sports fans, at B-Ball Breakdown, we're not a channel, we're a conversation. You in? Are you in, Ian? I'm always in.